He helped you tidy up all the nooks and crannies of your body's basement, but this year Manscaped can help you get the perfect presentation on that beautiful face with the new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. Make sure you look your best this spring by using code BELLYUP20 to get 20% off and free shipping at Manscaped.com. It's time to tame your mane with the Beard Hedger Pro Kit. The sun is peeking back out, which means you'll have to show your face in the daylight again. So use the kit to make sure your scruff looks award-winning, whether you got glorious beard flow or some smooth, sleek cheeks. The kit starts off with the Beard Hedger, a waterproof cordless trimmer with a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair-cutting lengths, all with one guard. So no more messy drawers full of add-ons. It also comes with the titanium-coated T-blades that are tough on hair but smooth on your face, leading to a single-stroke efficiency that brings satisfaction one stroke at a time. The Beard Hedger is a high-tech piece of art in a travel-sized package with a long-lasting battery, universal charging, and a strong motor. So what are you waiting for? Save 20% off and free shipping when you use the promo code BELLYUP20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the promo code BELLYUP20 at manscaped.com. Focus on the face and use the Beard Hedger Pro Kit for the cleanest look in the game. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. Well, it's Thursday night, which means we're back with another edition of the MD's Fantasy Football Show. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, and the streak of the great guest will continue, and we'll properly introduce him in just a second. We are going to be talking a little NFC North action, and there's a lot of news to talk about over the past couple of weeks there, too. So timeliness on my scheduling part, if I do say so myself. Danielle, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. I'm excited to be back. I know I took a week off, but I'm back, and hopefully we'll be back for the rest of summer, but we'll see. You did miss a great episode last week when we had Drew DeLuca on for the AFC East. And you guys, make sure you go back, check out our YouTube pages and our podcast platforms, which is available to you wherever you download your podcast apps at, uh, and check those out. And, of course, the NFC East, which we did a couple of weeks ago. But, yeah, Danielle, you've been you've been off doing a lot of things. Like I, like I told Bob here on, in the background, you have been you've been given a pass for this summer as you continue your great work over there with Fox Atlanta. Guys, make sure you check her out on social media at Danielle Dubois. Okay, so with no further ado, let's introduce our guest of the evening. And now, the moment you've all been waiting for. He's in the top right corner of your screen. The six-time nominated award winner to be the author of the Fantasy Football Consistency Guide. He's Mr. Bob Coming to you from beautifully uh, landscaped uh, with palm trees and everything in Canton, Ohio. How you doing? <laughs> that seems like it fits well, right? Hello. <laughs> Bob, thank you so much for coming on to the show. For you guys who don't know, I don't know who wouldn't know at this point, but for you guys who don't know, he is also the one who puts together the entire Fantasy Football Expo for all of us to go and enjoy, which I will be there along with Chris. I'm not sure where he's at. Hopefully he'll be here later tonight, but we'll be there back again for the Football Expo. Bob, you want to talk about that a little bit in the beginning? I usually wait till the end of the show, the plug guys, but this is this is big. I want you to talk about it a little bit now. All right, so Fantasy Football Expo once again. 
Ken, Ohio, second weekend of August, August 11th through the 13th. It is a three-day event, Friday night, Saturday all day, Saturday night, and Sunday all day, parties, fantasy football drafts, and one big expo with 50 of the best fantasy sites in the country, including those guys, uh, will be there as well. And uh, all kinds of panel discussions, four of them going on at the same time all day long. You don't want to miss this. Go to the fantasyfootballexpo.com. Get your tickets. Prices go up July 1st. Make sure you get them quick. So, so get them now. Get your hotels. We'll be there all weekend long. I think we're getting in Thursday night like we did last year. We'll yep. be there all the way through. We don't leave till Monday morning because there's just too much fun. I can't just leave on a Sunday night. Just, just can't happen. Right. We'll have the Belly Up Fantasy X, uh, Expo booth on that Sunday. Can't wait for that. And uh, we'll just be around the whole the whole weekend long. Of course, check us out in the panel discussions, uh, too. Hopefully, we'll be back on that this year. Uh, we're on the redraft panel last year. Hopefully, we'll be back on it again this year. I'm talking to you, Bob. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I know we, we usually, usually we have coaching changes, but um, there's the NFC North pretty stable as far as coaches go. None. No coaching changes to really even talk about. That so we get to skip right ahead to the quarterback. <laughs> Why not start this off with a conversation about Justin Fields? Because this is the guy, right? He had the big run at the end of the season, was quarterback three, even quarterback one for a stretch of weeks before he got injured, despite the fact that this guy was throwing the least of all the quarterbacks eligible for, for fantasy football purposes, just getting it all done on his legs. Now, the question that we all have, Will he take that next leap like a Jalen Hurts did when he got an A.J. Brown, like a Josh Allen did when he got a Stephon Diggs? Two quarterbacks who were very inefficient throwing the football and leaned on their legs to still pump out top six, top seven fantasy football production. But then all of a sudden we saw an astronomical leap when they finally got a number one wide receiver. And now Justin Fields has gotten that with DJ Moore. So, Bob, my question is to you. Do you expect Fields to take a Hurts-Allen level leap now that he has a true number one wide receiver? I'm going to say no, just because I just don't feel like Fields has the arm, the awareness, the right coaching that those other two had. Um I just don't see the same talent. Um, I think he gets done things with his legs. There's no question about it. Um, He was 53% consistent last year. You know, that could improve some. Um, Maybe DJ Moore makes a difference, but he just seems so scared in that backfield and kind of just really reluctant at times. And maybe he will. I, I, but I haven't seen anything yet that I went like if he would have had a really great second half, you know, where like he really clicked, then I might have a little more love for that. But like his ADP is QB six. And I feel like, man, I could get Trevor Lawrence. I can get maybe Justin Herbert close to that spot. I just, I just don't, the price tags too high. If he was running, you know, going maybe quarterback 10 to 12, Round six, seven, I'd feel a little bit better about it, but I just can't buy into it yet. I don't disagree with that line of thinking from the sense of you are drafting him at his ceiling right now at six. Could he go six? 
Sure, absolutely. Because if he runs like he did last year without getting injured, he'll be right there in that conversation. There's no question about it. Before I kick this over to Danielle, though, it is a little interesting to me. We saw Jalen Hurts go from like a 61% completion to 66, getting A.J. Brown. We saw Josh Allen jump, the biggest jump I've ever seen out of anybody, go from 58 completion percentage the year before to 69 after he got Stephon Diggs. Now, I'm with you, Bob. I don't think he takes that big of a jump, but even last year, we did see some improvement. He was 55% the first five weeks and then jumped to 62 from week six on. There was some improvement as the offense loosened up. I like the point you made about you made with the coaching staff, too. I don't look at Luke Getze the same way I look at a Brian Dable, look at a Shane Stetson, which those guys are calling plays for those quarterbacks at that time. That makes a big difference, but could Justin Fields go from the 60 that he had overall last year to a 63 because if he does that and he completes those passes and gets opened up a little bit in that sense, that should give him the floor to where QB six, I think might be the correct value for that guy. But Daniel, what do you think? I am towards the lines with you. I don't think he's going to be as big of a jump as Josh Allen was because Josh Allen is night and day compared to what he used to be. And he's a really fabulous quarterback now. Justin Fields, I think, has a lot of potential, and we did see it towards the end of last season. He did drastically improve, not, I guess, as much as we'd like to see, but he did have a drastic change towards the later parts of that season. He does have Claypool and more now, so I think adding more in could be a key to helping him improve this season. While I don't think it's going to be as big of a jump as Josh Allen, I do feel pretty confident in taking him at a sixth spot. And I do think I would rather take fields over Herbert. Ooh. That hurt you, Bob. Ooh, ooh, ooh. ooh, that hurts. And that's nothing against <laughs> Herbert. I love him, but I just do not coach. I just, I don't believe in the coaching there at all with the chargers. And I believe in the coaching. Ooh, just a little oh, bit. Time out flag on the field. No, you don't love Kellen more there. Danielle. We got to talk about that real quick. I don't like any part of the Chargers coaching staff. Chargers I charge is that is that the problem here with you? I'm yeah, pretty much. I just have no no hope in them. I guess, and I think Justin Justin is a Justin Herbert is um, a great quarterback, but I just think he's kind of rotting away down there. You know, like two years ago, he was third in total points and consistency, right? He just, was. Just... However, we have seen kind of a <laughs> consistent downcline in the chargers and i well last year when i believe yeah the chargers are way more likely to bomb and do awful on offense than the the fact that the bears could do very well and exceed people's expectations so i'd rather bet on that than the chargers doing well Just for the record here, I'm more in the line of Bob because I have Justin Herbert at my QB five, Lamar six, and then Fields at seven as it stands right now. So we'll have to see exactly what happens. Danielle, we're going to have that conversation again when we get back to the AFC West. Well, absolutely. <laughs> I've, I've not heard not people not liking Kellen Moore. So we're going to dive in that a little bit deeper. Hey, let's welcome Chris into the show. And Chris, we're just going to keep this thing rolling. The next quarterback we have to talk about is Kirk Cousins. Uh, not really fun fantasy wise ever because you know what his ceiling is. It's a low end QB one, but he consistently stays in that high end QB two, low end QB one territory on a great offense with Kevin O'Connell, has weapons and Justin Jefferson, an additional one, and Jordan Addison, TJ Hawkinson for the entirety of the season. 
do you just take Kirk Cousins where we've been taking him? Double-digit rounds and a guy who's going to lock down and probably be in the top 12 of quarterbacks, and you just call it a day from there. I think so. I mean, I think you look at a guy who's been pretty consistent. You talked about, you know, finishing the top 12 pretty consistently. I think he's got a, a good chance to do that again this week, this year, um, especially with the move on from Dalvin Cook. I think they're going to be more of a pass-happy team and looking to throw the ball a lot more. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if you see – you know, Kirk Cousins can kind of repeat, maybe even creep into that top, top top ten because of the you know the fact that the offense is different right now, not going to be so run centric. We usually focus in on like the upcoming season when we do these episodes, but I do have a dynasty thought, and I'm going to run this by Bob and see what he thinks. But in dynasty, is it is it now or never to sell on him because it is a contract year. It feels, it feels like Minnesota wants to move on from him. Although I'm not really sure how they're going to be able to do that successfully. I don't expect them to draft in the top 10 next season. And there's going to be very few quarterbacks available outside of the draft. So I'm not sure what their thinking is, but it does feel like if they get the opportunity to move on from him, they will. So in your mind, a dynasty standpoint, is it time to sell him now or never? You're talking one quarterback league dynasty or two quarterback league dynasty? Let's talk. Let's talk one because two quarterback it's a little. You got a little more room to wiggle. Yeah. Um, I don't think you get much. If I guess if somebody makes you an offer, but like you said, you know what you're getting. Um, and I think the person on the other side with the trade knows what they're getting. They're getting a top twelve quarterback. They're not getting a top seven quarterback but they're getting in the top 12 um if you've if you've got a youngster behind him and you can trade him fine but i think he's going to be that and like you said i he's playing for a contract but i don't think he's going to i don't, I don't see like you said i don't see how the vikings what are they going to do i mean you're not going to get a good draft choice you're not going to get anything for him just keep him there you know you know jefferson i mean he from a quarterback perspective he's not old um he's got probably five years left um if he stays healthy which he seems to do he's not a running quarterback i i don't i don't know if it's his peak i don't know if it's his floor i just think that he is what he is that is the epitome of kirk Cousins, right there he is what he is i could <laughs> not agree is. more with that hey danielle do you like the lions coaching staff because I want to talk to you about Jared Goff. I wonder, I wonder if you're throwing curveballs at me. Um, no, 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 no curveballs here. <laughs> okay, fine. Is he more than the streamer that he was last season? Because that's exactly what Goff was. You could only stream him at home, and when they're playing against bad defenses, that was the secret. And if you did that, well, then you had a top ten quarterback on your hands week in and week out. But that's the only time. I shouldn't say week in, week out. Those, those weeks, you had a top 10 quarterback. Every other time, they're on the road playing against a good team or a half or above average defense, I should say. We watched Jared Goff go into the 20s week in and week out. So with this year, with them having Jameson Williams at some point, another year in this offense, some added weapons, some shifting of the guard there. They bring in Gibbs to replace DeAndre Swift. Whether he's better or not, we say bye to Hawkinson, say hello, Laporta. Do you think they have a right mixture here? Are they going to take the next step up and that be on Jared Goff's shoulder? You know, as much as I'd like to say yes, I feel like he's going to go back to being the same old Jared Goff. I feel like he's going to be used in the streamer sense for fantasy-wise, and I think 
you really pick him up if you just really are struggling on the quarterback area. And you, like you said, that's a perfect situation for the Lions and a perfect situation for golf. And you say, hey, I just need some consistent points here. I'll grab him for the week because most likely he'll be either on somebody's bench or out there easy to pick up because it's Jared Goff. But I think that's just going to be kind of his place. He's going to be kind of a placeholder throughout the season. And I don't necessarily think he can get much higher than that this season. Yeah, it has me at home. 23 of 29 touchdowns were at home for Jared Goff last season. I don't even know how that happens. That's how my the split was. Chris, do you have any other take there? No, I think uh, I do think a little bit different. I don't think he's going to regress. I think what you saw last year is going to probably be the norm. They have a lot of weapons, as you talked about. They'll get Jameson Williams back after six games. I think this team is going to you know, really benefit when they get him back to stretch the field. I think they're going to be a very pass-centric team. You saw them kind of move him from Hawkinson last year, but they got Laporta now. So when you look at the kind of weapons that Jared Goff has, he's got a lot of guys who can thrive in the middle underneath routes, and he can kind of you know excel with that. He gets rid of the ball quickly. He's able to get kind of the ball in the playmaker's hands. They know how to utilize him. So I actually like him as an actual top 10 quarterback. So I like him a little bit more than she does. Oh, we'll have to get into that too. Uh, Bob, I need you to help me crack a code here, bud. Jordan Love. What can we expect out of Jordan Love? What can we think about Jordan Love? And I don't even know so much as this is a fantasy question. It's just, do we think we have a competent quarterback on our hands for everybody else? That's a real good question because, again, he hasn't – I mean, he's played 10 games in two years, and he has yet to earn any clutch games. So he hasn't been over 20 points in any one of them. Um, that's hard to judge. Like, you, you know, usually in the past – or like a Garoppolo and he would fill in for Brady or, you know, somebody would fill in, for, you know, and they would do well. And you're like, okay, so, you know, but yeah, we have nothing to go on other than the fact he's got a good team. He's got a good, you know, offense, the offensive line, if they're all healthy, should be good. They got two really good running backs and Jones and Dylan behind them, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs. There's a lot to like, you know, a couple of new tight end rookie tight ends. I, I, I'm drafting Aaron Jones as many times as I can because I feel like if this team is smart, they're handing off the ball or throwing throwing him the ball, you know, uh, screens or whatever. You know, he's very going to be very involved in this offense, and Jordan Love becomes a game manager. Um, that's what I think they need to do with him early and often until uh, he can prove that he can make good decisions and make good plays and take it from there. I Am I drafting him? No. Am I drafting him at two quarterbacks? No. <laughs> Maybe he's a backup and it's a two quarterback. That's about it. Um, it yeah. yeah I, I, I just, there's, I think there's that's nothing right. there to excite me at this point. He no, may I, shock us all, you know. It, Aaron Rodgers didn't play for a few years and then they brought him in and, you know, became a god. So who knows? Yeah, I think a lot of people are looking at Aaron Rodgers' comparison, hoping that winds up being the same case. But I, I will say this. I never saw a quarterback come become good when they have a start against a team like Kansas City and look completely lost uh, in that game. I wasn't a big – Chris knows this, and I'll, I'll kick it back to him in a second. I wasn't a big fan of his in the first round when he was drafted in the first round to begin with. He did show 
some improvement and a very limited sample size from his rookie year to, to last year. Again, very limited sample size, but it did go from 58 complete percentage to 66. He did go from, you know, a 6.6 yards per attempt to 9.3. So he's taking a little more chances when he did come in again, very small sample size, hard to take anything out of. I will say the vibes around Green Bay about Jordan Love are much more positive than they were a couple seasons ago. But at the same time, was that because of Jordan Love? Was that just because the Green Bay Packers were so tired of Aaron Rodgers they knew they were moving on regardless? So I don't really know what the answer to that is either. Chris, you liked Jordan Love more than I did, so I want to get your take here. Yeah, I like Jordan Love a little bit more than Bob does. I understand the trepidation, especially after the, you know the 10 starts over the last couple of years hasn't been anything impressive. But I will say that what you're looking at is a guy that does use his legs. And there's a lot of talk out of Green Bay about them using more, um, you know, RPO action, using the quarterback as a mobile option more often in this offense, kind of moving away from the Aaron Rodgers offense and kind of curtailing their offense around Jordan Love. And we've seen that with, you know, Daniel Jones, Sam Darnold, different players who aren't necessarily great players or even super accurate guys. But that extra mobility, if you can run scramble over 40, 50, 50 yards, that can be a huge you know, bonus when it comes to fantasy. So Jordan Love's a guy that I was wondering if we were going to lose it. We lost his. We lost his visual. We just have a picture of him up there. I think we just lost his uh, his audio on that too. Sorry, Chris. We'll get you back hopefully soon, buddy. We'll skip around to the running backs because for, for Jordan Love, for fantasy purposes, we're not talking about him in redraft leagues coming up anyway. Like Bob said, back up in Superflex. That that's the only place you feel safe about taking this guy right now. <laughs> So speaking of Aaron Jones, and Bob mentioned him earlier, I'm going to ask Danielle about him now. Could he be poised to have the offense built around him? Like Bob kind of mentioned, it does make sense. You have Jordan Love, who's an inexperienced quarterback, and what you have seen, really haven't fallen in love with. And even the wide receiver standpoint, there were some things we liked about Watson. There were some things we liked about Dobbs. But they still have some things they need to prove on, on their standpoint, too. The only guy we don't have any questions about is Aaron Jones. So what do you think? You think they build this whole offense around him? I think that they should at least because while Love is, you know, maybe going to make his mark one day and going to prove himself at some point, I don't know for sure. It is a very tricky situation for them, and they also just don't have the best wide receivers like you pointed out. So the fact that there's been a very consistent piece of their offense through many years being in Aaron Jones I think you should rely kind of heavily on him while you're in this weird rebuilding phase after Aaron Rodgers. I think he could easily step up and carry this offense on his back in those sense of terms. We've seen it before that he has the potential to do really well as a running back. And I feel like this is going to be his time to shine if the coaching is smart about it, at least because they can get a lot done with him. He's a feisty young man. We've seen him before and I think he can do it again. So hopefully they're smart about it and go for Aaron Jones. See what gave me pause about them actually doing that was last season. I thought they would do it last year when you had all these question marks, the wide receiver position, all the rookies, and they didn't really boost his volume in any kind of capacity. He kept his 46.7% team carries that he typically gets around that number. He kept his 12.7% of team targets. He's usually around that number as well. And when you look at the Packers offense and how bulimic it frankly was, they only scored 39 team touchdowns last year. I do think having Jordan Love, even with a conservative approach, they should match that mark. 
And Aaron Jones was still the RB9 overall and RB12 in points per game last season. So he was still an RB1, essentially. And Bob, you tell me, this is this a steal? Because right now, ADP and FFPC, he's RB17 and he's going yeah. in the fifth round. Right. I think the thing that um, we all have to think about is the reason that the run game was so bad last year is because their offensive line was just completely deteriorated with injuries. Um, Bakhtari was out for most of the season. Um, I forget the other names, but you know, their, their major three starters was out most of the season. Um, I remember many games watching and going, why can't this offense get anything going? And, and then you hear like, well, this guy's been out and that guy's out. And I mean, you, you take away all your major offensive line players like that, um, especially your stars. It's very difficult. Now they're all back. Um, I think they've even improved by picking up some free agents as well. Um, I, I think that that is where we'll see more Aaron Jones and more, um, and maybe even a little bit more of AJ Dillon. I think that was the thing that shocked more most people. Um, I've always been an Aaron Jones guy just because he catches the ball at the backfield, but the lack of using AJ Dillon, um, especially near the goal line, was always surprising to me. But we'll see how that works. But I, I'm that's why I'm in, and you're right. I mean, I have Aaron Jones ranked as my I'm in the top my top ten, um, but you know so. Like I just did um, uh, at the FSGA conference here, actually had in Cleveland this past week. Um, I did a draft with you know guys like Jeff Ratcliffe and and, and various others, and I, I I took three straight receivers and grabbed Aaron Jones in the fourth round. I'm perfectly fine with that. Yeah, I would feel pretty good about that too. One more stat I want to throw out before we move to AJ Dillon because a lot of people are ageist against the running back position in particular, and he is turning 29. He still had 5.3 yards per carry, even with the bad offensive line last year. I'm not worried about Aaron Jones falling off a cliff this season, his age 29 season. But let's talk about A.J. Dillon. And my question for A.J. Dillon, I'll, I'll kick this right back to you, Bob, since you just mentioned him. Is A.J. Dillon actually good? Because I think we have to start to question that a little bit. Is is that part of the reason maybe why they didn't get him more involved last year? Because I'm with you. I thought they would. He didn't take a step up in his second year. Not in volume. Not in his efficiency decrease. So 4.1 yards per carry. It was at 4.3. Uh, he wasn't catching the ball. He wasn't given as many opportunities. Do you think maybe A.J. Dillon's just not as good as we thought? That's a really good question. I mean, yeah, you're right. Everything kind of dropped. I mean, uh, his fantasy points total scored, and he played in 17 games both seasons. Total fantasy points dropped 20 points, ranking 27th. His consistency, which wasn't great at 35%, dropped down to 29%. I mean, he was ranked 47th in consistency. Um, but the, now you see him being drafted appropriately, where last year he was drafted as, you know, a solid RB2, um, not on my teams, but – you know, now he's like 35, which, okay, even I'd still even not sure I want to go that high. I feel like there's other guys in that general area in the thirties that I could have, I have more hope for and in, in better, you know, scenarios out of that I can see, but I, I don't know if it's still in, I, it, I feel like a lot of it had to do with the offensive line. We'll see if, you know, but I think the coaching seemed to, want to use him more, whether that was an Aaron Rodgers, you know, like I want Dylan or I don't want Dylan in the backfield. I want Aaron Jones. Cause I want to be able to throw the ball. If you know, if I see the scenario, it's hard to tell. 
Uh, no, I agree. I do have him ranked at uh, RB 33 right now, but this is, there's a tier here of running back. Once you get past like the 30th mark where it gets real dicey. Like I have him one spot ahead of Zach Charbonnet and we have guys like James Cook and Brian Robinson in the area on ADP and Khalil Herbert in the area. Like it gets a little dicey there. So I'm fine with him being in that range, but I'm with you last year. People were drafting him as if he was going to have the opportunity to overtake Aaron Jones. And obviously that, that did not happen. Um, Danielle, I want to go to you about Jameer Gibbs. Cause this gets real interesting, right? So they, they spend this great draft capital on him, right? 12th pick. They send off DeAndre Swift to the Philadelphia Eagles. They did already sign David Montgomery before, and they're going to use him because while it's not a ton of money they signed David Montgomery to, when you compare it to the running backs in free agency, it was one of the top dollar ones. So they're going to use him. But is Jameer Gibbs, I guess, first of all, we got to figure out, is he better than DeAndre Swift? What do you think? I think he has the potential to be, and I think he eventually will be, but not this season. I think he's going to take a little bit. Obviously, he's going to be a rookie, so it's going to take him a little bit to get adjusted to the NFL, and I think he will have a good season. I just don't know if it will be as good as Swift season would be. Now, that con- in consideration, though, Swift has been injured and everything, so I don't really know if it can get much worse than having to deal with the on-and-off injury for him. So I think it's definitely an upgrade for the Lions, but I don't know if he'll be as good as Prime Swift was at the moment. But I think eventually it will be, and I think it's going to pay off a lot for the Lions. It's a tall order. I mean, Swift was a very good, productive player when he was, in fact, on the field. Here's what I do know. I know Gibbs is more explosive. Ran a four three six forty. Swift had a four four eight. Uh, Gibbs last year in college was more productive as a pass as a pass catching back at twelve point eight percent team target share compared to Swift's seven point eight coming out of Georgia. So there's some reasons fantasy wise get real excited about Gibbs with that kind of speed and that kind of catching prowess. But you talked about injury availability is going to be a big thing here. Gibbs is only 199 pounds. He's actually about mm, 11, 12 pounds lighter than DeAndre Swift is, believe it or not. So it, I think that part of it a little bit interesting. What do you think, Bob? Yeah. I mean, when you first off, as, as Danielle said, when rookies come in, whether regardless of where they're drafted, very rarely do they earn over a 60% consistency rate in their first year. Um, only guys like Zeke, Barkley, uh, Le'Veon Bell, those kind of people that, you know, walk into a starting role with no competition, do they really um, become effective? Yeah, I think if Gibbs can play all 17 games, obviously he's ahead of Swift just based on that. But as you said, based on his size, um, you know, I think they'll use Montgomery more on first and second down. I think they'll probably bring in Gibbs on third down early in the season, see how he does, see how he reacts. And then maybe he becomes more of a running back and less of a pass catching back. But because of that, I, I think he'll have a lot of inconsistency. And I'm, you know, he's going as an RB two in ADP wise. And that's where I'd be like, eh, I think I'll take, I think I'd rather draft a, an Alexander Madison or Pacheco or Cam Akers or one of those people in that 20 to 24 range than taking a chance on a, on a rookie like Gibbs. Can't, can't argue that in theory because we haven't seen him done it, do it yet. Right. But so the part, the part two of this whole thing is figuring out, okay, what's, what's the rotation between a Montgomery and a Gibbs going to be? Is it similar 
to what we saw Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift was about 50-50 on the ground. Williams obviously getting more touchdown looks, but it was a 70-30 split in favor of Swift in the passing game. If Gibbs does get that kind of split right off the bat with with David Montgomery, with what we expect this offense to be pace-wise, scoring-wise, with a bad defense, especially good at home, it's. It, I do have to say, I think it would be hard for me to say he's definitely going to be a significant decrease from what we saw to DeAndre Swift early on, which Swift early on the first two years, he was, you know, a top 15 running back and then a top 10 running back. So you can make the argument, I think either way, I do think it's a little bit interesting though, when it comes to that conversation of what we're going to see, but let's talk about Alexander Madison. You brought him up. Here's an, it's kind of similar to my AJ Dillon question. Is Madison actually good? He's great when he's getting the ball into himself. We know that. He puts up RB1 numbers when he has started in place of Dalvin Cook. There's no question there. But he's also been a volume monster in those instances. We're talking about a guy who's 3.8 yards per carry. We're talking about a guy who's about you know a 2.5% touchdown rate. Now, what I will give him, which is interesting to me, he seems to be, at least in a limited sample size, more efficient than Dalvin Cook is in the passing game. So that's my question to you, Bob. Is Alexander Madison actually good? Yes. <clears throat> As you said, when he gets 13 touches or more in a game, he has averaged 22.3 fantasy points and is 100% consistent every time. Um, you give me those kind of numbers, and the fact that he's ADP right now is RB29 to 30, um, and I can get him as either a very solid RB2, maybe an RB3, I'm going to be drafting that all day because he doesn't have any competition now. He doesn't have to worry about Dalvin Cook. He doesn't have to share. There's nobody there worthwhile to back him up. He's got to be the man if he stays healthy, which he seems to, but again, he hasn't played full season. Um, I think he's definitely a really good value right now for fantasy purposes. Again, going back to the FSGA draft, after round four, when I drafted Herndon Jones in round five, I took Alexander Madison. So yeah, I'm all in. <laughs> Where do you have him ranked at, just out of curiosity? I have him at 22. 22. So I'm actually higher than you are. I got him at RB16 right now. Oh, okay. Because ultimately, my thing is this. Even if he's not efficient, I don't really care. I don't buy the Ty Chandler hype. I don't, I don't, they had a seventh round pick on McBride, who I like, but still, he's a seventh round draft pick. I don't buy that anybody's taking away volume from this guy. Alexander Madison might be one of the few bell cows left in this league. And one of the even fewer ones that you can get, like you said, in that third round RB three, almost territory right now in drafts, which makes him a steal in my eyes. Danielle, do you have anything you want to add about Alexander Madison? No, I like him. And especially the receiving backs in fantasy wise are gold you need that receiving back because that would get you so much more points than if you're just carrying the ball i think when they catch it and they run for 10 15 yards that's perfect and i think madison has absolutely amazing potential for doing that so much this season especially with cook gone so thank god dalvin cook is gone for fantasy wise sorry dalvin (laughs) yeah i hear you Oh, I hope he goes to Miami. We had that conversation last week, and it really no, would set up really no. well if he goes to Miami. Danielle, I don't care about your little Devon A chain. I don't. I really don't. <laughs> I wish I was there because I have so much to say about that league. <laughs> that little division. Is, oh, it sucks the doodles. You missed it. Uh, <laughs> 
Let's talk about the Bears. This is where I'm going to plant my flag this year, I think, is on the Bears' backfield. Because I am all aboard the Roshan Johnson train. I like Khalil Herbert. He's nice. He's he's flashy in between the tackles. He's a zero in the passing game. And he's not as powerful as Dante Foreman, who's also a zero in the passing game. But Roshan Johnson, who's not only the best pass-protecting running back to come out of this year's draft class, which usually means early playing time for guys because they earn the trust of the coaches and the quarterbacks quite early on. He's the way better pass catcher of those two as he had experience lining up in the slot for Texas at times. Oh, by the way, he's six foot two nineteen. He's not a small scat back back there. He has just as much size as these other two guys. Hold on to your hats. I compare Roshan Johnson to one Alvin Kamara. Now, I'm not saying he's going to be as productive as Alvin Kamara early on in his career. He doesn't have Drew Brees, and he doesn't have Sean Payton. That makes a big difference as far as that goes. However, if you look at these guys' metrics, they are eerily similar. Both about the same size. Both had a 4.5840. Kamara had about a 4.5640. Kamara was actually a little bit smaller, slightly smaller than Roshan Johnson. But they both had the same things coming in. Both great pass protectors, both great receivers, and both had to enter a three-man committee in the rookie year, believe it or not, too. Remember, Kamara comes in. It was it was AP, and I want to think, I think it was Pierre Thomas was the other one. And then finally, they got rid of AP, and then Kamara was able to shine after that. I look at Roshan Johnson's like, I think you're the most talented guy in that backfield today. It might take a few weeks for him to fully take over, and it might not be him as a bell cow or workhorse at any point, but be the lead back. I think it will happen by the second half of the season. Danielle, what do you think? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Interesting, interesting points. And you're making me kind of reevaluate what I was going to say because I didn't really necessarily think of him like Kamara, but now that you mention it, it actually makes perfect sense that he would be that style playmaker. So that does make me reevaluate my choices a little bit. I was going to say Foreman before that is going to be like my main guy that stand out to me, but I'm changing it a little bit. And I think I might be on your train, but for this series, like for this show right now, I'll say Foreman because I think he's a very productive running back, but he did really get me mad last season. Cause as soon as I picked him up, he decided to do awful and of course, you know, he was doing great. And then as soon as I get him on my team, it's awful. So maybe Johnson is the way to go this year. See, even analysts get recency bias sometimes. Bob, what say you? Well, since we have a running back committee, I'll take the third of the committee. And I'm all in on Khalil Herbert. Uh, again, when he was given 15 plus touches in a game, averages 16 fantasy points a game, 71% consistent. He's proven in the past when Montgomery's hurt, he fills in and kicks ass. I think they give him the start. They give him the beginning of the year role. And if he, and it's his job to lose. If he runs his ass off and does like he has in the past when Montgomery wasn't there, I think he keeps the job and they bring up Roshan and Foreman just become backups and, and, and uh, fill-ins. If he doesn't and he fails, then 
he'll be out. Um, but I think he's proven his worth over the last two years filling in. And I think he gets the first shot. We'll see what happens. Um, the nice thing is that his ADP is like 36 or RB 36. So again, you're, and you're not taking a big risk to draft him because you're getting him as your RB three. And again, going back to the draft I just had, that's who exactly I took my RB three was Herbert and I took him in like round eight. So yeah, I, I think he's a good value. Um, you know, cause Roshan's probably going higher because you know, everybody loves the shiny new toy. Yeah. So actually, I, I, just, I think I Herbert's a good value. I think Roshan for now is still going a little bit lower, but that gap has been getting closed pretty rapidly as of late. Uh, I have to take another look at that again. I just had in front of me and then I lost it. This was hard for me with Herbert because I've been a big Herbert fan. I have in quite a number of dynasty leagues. I've been waiting for this moment for David Montgomery to shoe and go get out of here because Herbert's very efficient in between the tackles. But even in college, Virginia Tech, I knew his one downfall was going to be he's still a zero in the passing game. He was a zero in college. I don't think he picks it up in the NFL. So I think no matter what, there's a role for Roshan. And that's where I start to question things because I know Roshan can be very efficient with the ball in his hands as well. It will be interesting to see how this plays out uh but i guess way, one thing i will ask dan though ahead. for you is does justin fields check the ball down because justin fields as they look down the field there's nobody there i'm running is he gonna actually check the ball down to roshan johnson regardless of how good the guy is in pass and catching it so 100 a, a a fair point I will say this, David Montgomery still racked up targets last year. It still had a good number for what he was back there. My other thing to this is, even if Roshan's not catching the ball all the time because he's the better pass protector, he'll be on the field. And I wonder if that leads to him getting an opportunity at some point as well. So that would be my counter argument to that, but also a good point. I mean, we, we saw it with Jalen Hurts. I questioned this. We had the NFC East episode two weeks ago, right. and I questioned that then because I'm like, Hurts checks the ball. Running backs get five targets a game on the Philadelphia Eagles because of what you just laid out with fields because Hurts takes off and runs instead of checking it down. The same thing with Josh Allen. Um, so there's definitely a concern as far as what your overall volume is going to be, but whatever volume there is, I expect it to be Roshan Johnson from that standpoint. Uh, that does it for the running backs. Let's talk about some wide receivers, baby, because they're hot and loaded. Well, well I'm going to have to drop a tight end. <laughs> Pay no mind. We are going to talk about wide receivers, but my wide receiver drop is somehow missing. So if you were watching this and you saw tight ends, it's, it's going to be wide receivers. Don't worry. Start off with the number one guy, Justin Jefferson. I think this is a simple question. Is he the default wide receiver one? There's been some rumblings in the industry about, should we make Jamar Chase the guy this year? And I can't necessarily disagree with the total argument. Bob's shaking his head profusely. Yes. So Bob, go ahead. Take it away. So, yeah, I'm all in on Jamar Chase, number one, and I'll tell you why. It was basically he was 100% consistent in every game he played. He missed four games, five games, uh, but he was 12 for 12 in those games. I mean, he got hurt, came back, consistent, didn't matter, 12 for 12, 11th in total points, and he missed five games. Justin Jefferson, 71% consistent. That's not the number one guy overall I'm picking. Um, And if you had him in the finals last year – in any of your championship games, those 2.5 points still burn in my crawl every time I talk about it. I can't do it. He won't be my 101. If I have the first pick, it's going to be Jamar Chase. Yeah, Bob, I, I feel your pain on the Justin Jefferson in the championship game. Uh, I definitely feel your pain on that one. Can't can't deny it whatsoever. So th- this is and the AFC North episode we're going to do is next week. 
Um, so I, I do want to lay out some things here about Chase. I'll probably reiterate, reiterate them again next week, but I do want to lay it out here since you brought him up. His 17 game pace was going to be 190 targets. That was going to be more than Jefferson. It would have led to about 1400 yards, not as much, but 13 touchdowns. He would have actually tied Devontae Adams for wide receiver two overall last year, just based on that projected 17 game number. And it was only his second year. So it, it it stands to reason we'll see another wide receiver three-year leap out of Jamar Chase on top of all of it. And when we get into the Bengals offense, there's just there's just a lot to love. Here's my counter argument to Bob. I don't disagree with you, Bob, but th- this is my counter argument to what to what you're saying. It would be so with Cooper Cup last year, right? This time last year, we're talking about is, is a cup, is a Justin Jefferson. I was big proponent on it being Jefferson number one. Now, Cup on a, on a per game basis, and Bob, you would know this is a consistency guy. He still brought it. He still yeah. had it. He just got injured. But that was part of the reason why I didn't believe he'd be able to do it again. Him, not necessarily just Cup getting injured, but my money was actually on Stafford getting injured. They both wound up getting hurt. Okay. So that's more what I was concerned about. So I had Jefferson going in there, a 30-year pop, but Cup not necessarily being in his prime and having injury history. My counter argument is this now with Jefferson, do we necessarily have to take out a regression still in his prime? Doesn't necessarily get injured. Doesn't have to worry about that coming out of cousins. It's still a good offense with a terrible defense. So they have to come back from behind quite a bit. Everything kind of lines up where Jefferson can kind of repeat what he did a season ago, which at the very least will be competing for the wide receiver one. He's able to put up those kind of numbers yet again. So that, that would be my counter argument. Although I tend to agree counter that. Sure. Go ahead. What also concerns me about Jefferson is they lose Adam Thielen. Adam Thielen may now set the world on fire, but he was definitely good enough to take away the other, you know, to not to force away from the double teams. Jordan Addison's a rookie. Maybe he comes in and sets the world on fire. Maybe he doesn't. KJ Osborne is really better as a wide receiver three. I'm a little worried that there's more double teams on Jefferson. And now that becomes more difficult to get him the ball and not less difficult where with chase you've got T Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Irv Smith jr. I mean, you've got a lot of weapons. You can't double team Jamar chase. I mean, you can, but then T Higgins will score three touchdowns. <laughs> no, absolutely. That's, that, that's the other reason I'm not a hundred percent on Jefferson this year. Well, I will counteract that argument. Right. And we'll let Danielle, we'll let Danielle decide which one's which here. I will counteract that, that argument. Uh, I think Adam Thielen's done. I don't think he has much left. So I do think Jordan Addison, as a rookie, will actually get more attention than Adam Thielen would. They do have TJ Hawkinson for the entire season this time around, which I do think plays a role as well. So I would counter-argue that there's a lot of weapons on the Minnesota Vikings that weren't necessarily there a season ago. So I guess where we're seeing this differently is, you know, where you're at on Adam Thielen versus where I'm at on Addison, comparatively speaking. Let's let Danielle decide here. I personally love Jefferson, despite what happened last season. I'm gonna, I'm gonna Paul, like forgive him for that because I just heart. love him so much, and <laughs> I, yeah, that was painful and definitely did ruin some streaks going. But I do really love him. He's very consistent to me. He's very good, and I do agree with the fact that Addison coming in will pose a threat to other teams. Also, the t- TJ being on there is just such a benefit for him because. While they are both good, it's just going to really help him because teams are really not going to know who to cover because no matter what, they have somebody that is 
fiery and is going to make up some yardage on them. So I think there's kind of a lose-lose when you're going against the Vikings. But for the Vikings, I think they should be perfectly fine on offense. And Jefferson, to me, is the number one wide receiver. Thank you, Danielle. Thank you. (laughs) We will see. We will see. We will see. Uh, at the end of the day, you take those two, one of those two guys, yeah. you're you're going to be okay. Yeah, one or two, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it, yeah, it really doesn't. Let's go to the the NFC North is stocked with wide receivers. It's unbelievable. Let's talk about the Lions. Talk about Amon Ross St. Brown. And since we gave Danielle no talk time there, we'll kick it back to her. Uh, he, I had a little bit of a reservation with Brown at first because he was consistently being ranked in the top 10. And then Jameson Williams gets popped for a six game suspension. And I'm like, all right, well, not so much reservation. Cause I love Jameson, but Danielle, what are you making of this situation with Amon Ross St. Brown? You know, he's going to be in position to get the target share that he usually gets for at least those first six weeks. Does Jameson Williams help him or hurt him? Uh, I think it helps him. Honestly, I think Amon Ross St. Brown is a very interesting wide receiver. And I think he's just so different than any other wide receiver out there. He has his very own like fiery sense of play playmaking. And I just love to watch him play. First of all, I feel like he came out of nowhere and shocked all of us. And ever since he just had that breakout season, a breakout few weeks there, I should say, everybody's been on him and they have been ranking him at least top 20, top 10 wide receivers. I am all for him this season. I don't think he'd be my number one wide receiver because I really would much rather have a Jefferson Hill Adams. However, if I definitely trying to get him on my team in some way, Bob is a consistency guy. I got to imagine you like St. Brown. Yeah, no 81% consistent last year. And of the three that he missed, Two of them, he got hurt in that game and played less than 35% of the snap. So, yeah, when he's held and he's playing, he's a consistent machine. He's, you know, good at a good spot. Like, again, FSGA draft, he went uh, second, I think the second pick in the second round. So, I mean, again, if you've got that end of round one turn, you pretty much can get him and, you know, A.J. Brown or something like that. I mean, that's a duo that should be unstoppable. Um, so yeah, he's in a really good spot. Um, you know, if you're at the end of the round one, one into round two. Yeah, I guess what bothered me, and I love Amon or his St. Brown. I was I was one of the people on him at the rookie year when I was looking at that Detroit line, seemed like I'm like he just screamed Jared Goff's Cooper Cup to me because he has that same size, he plays about the same position. But what bothers me a little bit when, when we're talking about drafting him as a bona fide top 10 wide receiver, especially when Williams is back in the mix is that he is a little volume dependent. I mean, we're talking about a guy who has a little bit of a below touchdown rate his first couple of seasons, hasn't had more than six. We're talking about a guy who's about 7.8 yards per target, and he's 97th in deep targets. Like, he needs the volume, the consistent volume, to put up the fantasy production that you expect from a guy like that when you're drafting him there. I guess this is what concerns me a little bit, because if you do add Williams back into the mix, does he lose some of that and he can't hit those big plays and he doesn't necessarily get those touchdowns like Cup did? I think the best thing is, is the fact that the Detroit Lions' pass defense still sucks. And they lost and they gave up Jeff Utica uh, or whatever his name is. Um, so, yeah, they're going to, you know, those games are all, always going to be 45-42. Um, so, the, you know, that's where the Jared Goff and Amon and all these kind of guys get a lot of points because <laughs> fantasy points because they have to they have to keep up. And the only way to keep up is to score. So that's fair. Speaking of Williams, 
Bob, I, I want. How, how do you value Williams? Because now it's it feels like it's like a rookie year all over again. You, you get suspended. You can't practice with the team. You can't be in the team facilities. So once again, he's had to come in halfway through the year to get reacclimated. How do you value a guy like this in drafts? I mean, I guess it just depends on where his ADP is, which I think is pretty late right now, if I'm not mistaken. It's in round 13 in FFPC yeah. at the moment. So, yeah. you know, that's the kind of pick that if you're going to take a shot in round 13, that's the guy you pick. Um because you know that he could come back and, and do very well. Um, and if he doesn't work out, he's he got him in the 13th round. Um, or he comes and has two decent games and you trade him off for a top, you know, top three, top 36 receiver. I don't know. Uh, yeah. As long as I'm not taking a big risk on him, I'm okay with it. Um, you know, if he was going in round six, you know, if he was like a D hop was last year where you're like, hey, you're going to miss the first six games, but, He's still going to go in the sixth round because he's Diop. Um, nobody's doing that. I think his value is fine. Tend to agree. It's all going to be about where you can get him at because yeah. it is tough with guys suspended because you can't put them on an IR spot. You yeah. have to. They have to take up a roster spot. And I do think Williams is one of those guys that whoever drafts him, even if it is late, I don't see them putting him back on the waivers. So if you want him, I do think you're going to have to draft this guy. And I think it makes it a little interesting. I don't. What do you make of it, Danielle? I am personally staying away from that situation. I am really just not necessarily a fan of trying to take a chance on somebody who's going to play half of the season. It's different when someone gets injured halfway through the season, you have to kind of switch them out. But I personally am just kind of kind of stay away from that and kind of leave my choices in other ways. Cause I think there are better options out there and I don't really want to risk it. And on the off case that he comes in halfway through the season and is awful. And then I just have him eating up a spot in my roster that could have been used for someone else. That's fair. Are you going to stay away from the bears receiving core? Are you going to stay away from DJ Moore? I think that's more the key question here. Cause my thing about DJ Moore is this, while he's been a consistent wide receiver too, I don't know unless Fields takes that leap that we talked about earlier. I don't know if this quarterback situation is any different than what he's had to deal with, which is frankly just kept him as a whole hum wide receiver too over the last what four or five years now. What do you think, Danielle? And I think he's going to stay a wide receiver too, who is just okay. I just kind of feel like that is who he is at this point, which is okay. I mean, that is still something that you need on your fantasy team and getting a consistent wide receiver too is actually very profitable on your team so i think he has had that chance of being that consistent wide receiver too i just am not giving up too much to go for him and if he goes before my pick then i'm not sweating it because i'm sure there's somebody that will do way better than him nothing against him i just think that that's kind of his ceiling for me I feel so bad for this guy. The best quarterback he had was the 2018 version of Cam Newton. And then since then, you have Kyle Allen, Teddy Bridgewater, Sam Darnold, and a mixture of Cam Newton again for a second stint. And then the mixture last year of Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield. Like, it doesn't get much worse than that. And yet, Justin Fields' completion percentage and efficiency marks, not much better than those guys that he's had to deal with over the past few years. So he's begging for a leap. Bob, you have anything different on DJ Moore? No, I was trying to look real quick at the draft board from the draft to see where he went in our draft. Um, uh, because, I mean, he, he, like you said, he's kind of an RB2, but I don't know if he went there or not. Yeah, he went fourth round, second pick, fourth round. So, you know, he's still being drafted as a 
you know, like you said, an RB or a RB, a wide receiver too. Um, I'd much rather have him as a wide receiver three. I agree. You I know, agree. 100%. Um, you know, I guess if you're going to do like I did, I went three straight receivers, um, you know, so, you know, or if you go Kelsey and then three straight receivers, I guess you could get him in round four as your wide receiver three. I feel much better about that. Um, I don't know where that team took him. Um, if that was, um, let's see if I can find her real quick. Uh, that was his wide receiver two. So he took CD lamb, DJ Moore, Keenan Allen. Um, it's a solid, I mean, yeah, solid. Ke- not... Keenan Allen could be the wide receiver two with more being the three. You can kind of go back. and Yeah. I mean, yeah. Way. Right. So, I mean, like I said, I went straight three wide receivers and I went AJ Brown, Debo Samuel, Calvin Ridley was my first three. Like and then it. came back with the Aaron Jones Madison thing. So that's that's what I've been trying to focus on. Now I was also pick seven, so I was right in the middle, which is great in a 14 team because it helps for that, yeah. You don't you don't have to worry about the runs. Um but uh yeah, but you know, solid pick. Like I said, it's really com- depends on how you feel about Justin Fields being better than the other crappy quarterbacks he's had. <laughs> well, exactly. And if we don't feel great about DJ more than really none of us feel great about Darno Mooney. And I'm not going to spend yeah. too much time on a guy whose FFPC is at uh, the 13th round anyway, with not much upside on that team. I do want to talk about the Packers situation though. Christian Watson. He's just, everyone loves them. Some Christian Watson. He had a great touchdown run. Sure. That's not sustainable. We all know that. Jordan Love, we have no idea what kind of quarterback he is. I just don't get the love of Christian Watson being drafted as a top 28 receiver right now in my mind. Am I crazy here, Danielle? No, you're not. And especially with Jordan Love. When it was with Aaron Rodgers, I was like, okay, I guess I can see a point for it. And he's he's okay. He is an okay wide receiver. And I could understand it more when Rodgers was a part of the Packers team. And now that he's not, and you're relying on Jordan Love to get you the ball all the time and keep that um, consistency up for his playmaking style is just not going to be great for him. And I just am not on the Watson train. If you are, then go ahead and take the chance. I would just much rather fill up my roster with three way better wide receivers. Bob, are you in the same mindset? You got something else? No, I, I'm total agreement. And I was looking again at this draft. Christian Watson went before DJ Moore. He went three twelve. Okay, I'd so, much rather have DJ Moore. I'd yeah, I'd I'm like, yeah, I just on a, as unexcited as we were about DJ Moore, I'd still rather have him than Christian Watson. Scale which says even. something. That <laughs> does. It says a lot right there. All right, let's get to the tight ends. <laughs> So TJ Hawkinson right now, ECR has him at tight end three. And for the record, I have him ranked at tight end three as well. Because really, frankly, once you get past Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews, there's a tier of Hawkinson, of George Kittle, of Darren Waller. I've heard some people try to make the argument for Dallas Goddard. And I can make arguments for it against all those guys. Bob Goddard? Goddard's okay. my man. <laughs> Bob, Bob's got Goddard. So we'll kick it to you in a, in a second and maybe you can tell us why because I, I am looking for reasons to not have Hawkinson that high because I think he's so dependent on volume nothing about him's efficient he doesn't score as many touchdowns as most of the tight ends do he doesn't have a big yards per target 
average. But what he does do is he gets targets. He's second most targets to Travis Kelsey last season. Is that going to remain the same when I do like a guy like a Jordan Addison out there? Maybe. I mean, the Vikings did throw the ball 672 times, I believe it was, last season. And the defense is still going to be pretty. I like Brian Flores, the defense coordinator, but that roster is awful. So there's a lot of games they're going to have to throw quite a bit. So maybe the volume stays there. But if it dips any at all, if Hawkinson's not the number two targeted tight end in the league, I question if he can really be the number three. So, Bob, maybe help me figure out a way to move him down my list. Well, when it comes to tight ends, you know, you have to decide, do you want to pick one in the first four rounds or do you want to wait? And probably with Hawkinson, and I'm 90% sure he went probably in the third round. Um, it's usually where he goes, yeah. Yeah. Well, I actually went in the fourth round in this one, but – this was 14 teams too. So that makes a difference. Um, again, I have no, no problem with Hawkinson. He was number two in total points. His consistency was 65% solid, not great, but he obviously did much better when he joined the Vikings versus when he was with Detroit. Um, so it's just a question of whether you want to draft that early. Um, like I said, I can draft Goddard in round six or seven, Goddard was 83% consistent until he got hurt. Um, he was definitely one of, you know, yeah, outside of a perfect season that Kelsey had, which was 100%, he was the number two by far uh, when it comes to consistency. He's back. He's healthy. Team's the same pretty much. I don't see why Goddard doesn't get right back into the flow, and that's where I'm picking him. Um, so that's why I'm probably not taking Hawkinson, just because he's going so early. He's going as a – in the third, fourth round. And I'm just not ready to take a tight end that early when I know I can get Goddard in round six. That's the argument I love right there. Because when I, when we look at Hawkinson, his ADP is a third round right now in 12 team leagues. And he's surprisingly two spots, two spots removed from Mark Andrews. There's a hell of a bigger gap between a Mark Andrews and a TJ Hawkinson. So from a value standpoint, I don't really like Hawkinson there anyway. Danielle, what do you make of this situation? Yeah, I am on the same train as you guys. I do really like him. Don't get me wrong. However, when it comes to third and fourth round picks, don't necessarily know if I'm going towards the tight end route at that point, unless it kind of depends on what everybody else is doing. For everybody else to grab me a tight end, and I need to grab somebody quickly before I get into the really bad tight ends and I'm suffering to get two or three points a week, then maybe I'll start and join in and grab a tight end as fast as I can as well. But um, most likely that won't happen. And I'm going to kind of stay away from tight ends until later on. Yeah, I can't. Well, we got Bob here and he, like you said, he's hundred percent consistent for Travis Kelsey. I'm still having a hard time drafting Kelsey in the first round. The last time he was hyped up was two years ago to go in the first round. I was against it then and it was right to do so. And now he's doing Now he's getting hyped up again in the first round. And I still feel queasy about it. Although maybe more confident than I was two years ago. Are you taking him in the first round? Do you value him there? I should say. Me? Yeah, you, Bob. Yes. Um, Because, again, with his consistency and his point total, um, there's a calculation in the consistency guide called X consistency, which combines the two. And he was, he would rate third amongst all receivers. So so it's hard not to, especially in the mid to late round, like in the draft I was in, he went sixth, I was picking seventh. I would have taken him um, okay. just because 
the guy that won won that that league last year had Cal State. I'm like, all right, I'll just take it. <laughs> maybe that'll maybe we'll keep that trick streak going. But uh, the guy took him, and yeah, I think anybody basically once you get to pass the mid round, if somebody doesn't take him there, somebody's going to take him before the end of the first. No, he's definitely going to go in the first round. That, that's, that, we'll go. We'll dive more into that when we eventually get to the AFC West. But while we have Bob there, I did want to get his take on it. What about Cole Komet? I really like Cole Komet. I, I do. I liked him coming out of college. Uh, last year, he showed you that if he gets the opportunity, he can capitalize. He was the Bears' number one receiver last year. But ultimately, I don't think this offense can sustain more than one pass catcher. And that's where if it's going to be anybody, I think it's DJ Moore. Right, Danielle? Yeah, I agree. And I I do like him. I've had him on previous fantasy teams and he's been okay. And he's been that tight end that I needed to get a few points and I haven't had too much to complain about him. So, I mean, if he does get the same amount of targets that he got last season, that that's going to be great. I think he's going to be pretty consistent. Then you can pick him up probably later on though obviously because there are way better tenants out there but if you're looking for somebody in the later rounds and that's really all you got i'd feel pretty confident in it but let me ask you the question this way if you decide to wait on tight end is he in that range of guys that you'll just pick and accept that you might be streaming and maybe you want to see what his upside is no <laughs> i agree um you know the you know what people will look at is and this is why I do my book, this is why I do this calculation, is that he was ninth in total points last year. So people are like, oh, he's a top 10 tight end, and we should draft him. problem is his consistency was 19th of all tight ends. Um, so therefore, in my opinion, he's a backup at best. And if I am in a league that's deep enough to take two tight ends, I'm going to take Irv Smith Jr. every day, all day, before I'm going to take Cole Komet, because Irv Smith in Cincinnati has a much better chance to get touchdowns, to get you know, maybe not volume, but Cole Komet didn't get enough volume. If he had enough volume, he wouldn't be 41% consistent. Um, he had some big games, which is, you know, where he caught a couple touchdowns. Um, and that's where his ninth in total points comes into play. It's it's not consistent targets. It was consistent or inconsistent touchdowns in games that put him over the edge. Yeah, seven touchdowns, to your point, though, came in blotches. Yeah. Uh, so one one hundred percent one hundred percent agree there. Um, little press for time. I'm just going to mention these last three guys, and you guys can give me your quick feedback because ultimately the rookie tight ends, Sam Laporta for the Lions, and then you got Luke Musgrave and Tucker Craft there for the Green Bay Packers. Of these three, do we expect any kind of sleeper value? Are they on your radar? We'll go with Bob and then Danielle. Since 2010, there's only been two tight ends that have been over 60% consistent in their rookie season. One is Kyle Pitts. One is Jordan Reed. Oh, I'm sorry. There's three. Evan Ingram. That's it. No Kelsey, no Kittle, no anybody. There's no chance in this world I'm taking a rookie tight end. Danielle? Yeah, I'm not looking at it at all, but it will be interesting to see Luke Musgrave. I mean, Jordan Love was even stated today saying how fast the guy is and how much speed he has is so much potential for the team. So I'm interested in that, but I'm not staying anywhere near that for fantasy-wise. At least not this year. Dynasty-wise, I'm interested in Musgrave because he he's a freak of nature. But this year, we're staying away from him. Lock him in. It's a lock. It's time to get to our over-under bets of the year here. So we go with some wins and losses of these four teams, and let's see where we land. The Bears right now 
over under. Their over is at minus 130. Their under is at plus 110. The line is 7.5 wins. So, Bob, is that over or under for the Chicago Bears? I'm going to take the under. I agree. The under is the better value here. Plus 110. People actually think this is going to be an eight-win team. That's what Vegas is telling me. The odds are better that they're going to go over this mark than under. I'm taking the value, and I don't see a very good team yet uh, on the field. Danielle, what do you got? It's the Bears at the end of the day, guys. It's the Bears. (laughs) Under it is, and I can feel pretty confident in it. All right. There's our value. Let's go to the Lions. So minus 120 on the over. Even money, plus 100 on the under. Their line... Is the highest I've seen it in years. It's a nine and a half wins for the Detroit Lions. Bob, I don't have their schedule in front of me, but ten and eight, ten and seven, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to take Danielle's attitude on the Lions, just like she did on the Bears. It's the Lions. <laughs> I'm going to say I'm going to take the under because I think they hit nine. Danielle. Yeah, they open at Kansas City. So if that doesn't set what the season's <laughs> looking like, I don't really know what else does under it is. I also go to the under. I know everyone's super excited about the Detroit Lions. By the way, I, I don't usually throw this into these shows, but if you want to pick a division winner, the Vikings are plus 250. The Lions are favorited by Vegas to win this division. I don't understand it. Everybody loves Dan all. Campbell. They, so they do. They, they love the guns. I, I get it. He's fun the roof for. They're fun the roof for. Right. Yeah, exactly. The defense is awful. <laughs> just just so awful. Bad. I don't understand. I, I don't. I, I can't I can't yeah. go there with a team that hasn't proven it and has a glaring hole on an entire side of the field. So yes, I'm going with the under the value. And by the way, I'm taking the Vikings to repeat. I'll go to them real quick. The Vikings over under minus 130 on the over plus 110 on the under. Their line is only set at eight and a half. I'll save you suspense. What? I'm going over on this. What? Yeah. That's I mean, I get it. They were 11 and 0 with one score games, all that and blah, blah, blah. But they're still a pretty good team. I mean, yeah, I, I would definitely take the over on eight and a half. Wow. That's crazy. Before I get to Danielle, Bob, on that point real quick, because everyone loves to bring up that point, isn't there some argument to me that, well, they proved they could also close out the games at the very end, too? Yeah, it does, but just, that's a 11-0? and 0? I mean... Oh, it was crazy. It's insane. Yeah, I 100% yeah. agree. But I'm like, give them a little credit on the other side here. Right. Danielle, go ahead. Yeah, I'm going to take the over. All right. Well, so 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 far, we're all in agreement on every single one. Let's see if it stays true with the Packers. Packers minus 105 on the over and minus 115 on the under. They're the only team you're not getting plus odds in on either direction. Their line set at seven and a half. And I feel like this is, comes down to how you feel about Jordan Love. Their defense is pretty good, it which is. means they're going to keep games close. Playing in Green Bay it certainly gives them advantage, especially in the later months. Seven and a half seems low. I think they could easily go. I mean, that's it's eight and nine, right? Yeah. That I I think I would go. I think I would take the over. I think I'm, they could I'm, win eight. I'm in line with you. I, I have them for eight wins, 7.7 to be exact. So I have them rounded up to eight. I, I'm more in the mindset of they keep it as close to 500 as possible. And this is not a seven and 10 team ultimately because they'll be able to lean on both sides of the ball 
Uh, and one of the few teams in this division who actually has uh, the only team really that has a, an actual defense. Danielle, right. what do you think? I'll take the under. You know what? Okay. She just wants I'll to be contrarian. That's fine. Be but in, if I'm advising anybody, though, about betting, just don't place any bets on the Packers because, really, guys, there's so many bad things to bet on. <laughs> <laughs> Danielle's been That's brilliant. My advice. You couldn't tell. Take the over for the Vikings. That's much easier. <laughs> well, Bob, uh, it was a great show. So happy to have you on. Uh, one more time for the people. Where can we follow you at? And what's some stuff you have coming up? Talk about your consistency guy. Where can we get that? All right. Uh, so follow me on Twitter at Bob underscore Lung. Follow the Expo at the FF Expo on Twitter. Um, the 2023 fantasy football consistency guide as always is on Amazon. Just type in fantasy football consistency guide. It's the only thing that pops up. Can't miss that. Um, and then of course the expo is the fantasy football expo.com August 11th through the 13th in Canton, Ohio. If you want it, one, if you play fantasy and two, you've never been to the pro football hall of fame. There's no reason not to come because you can do both at the same time in one weekend. Oh yeah. And we have a couple parties and cornhole tournament, flag football tournament and a big expo and you don't want to miss this. It's a blast. And you get to meet all the top people everybody. in the industry. I mean, everybody comes to this thing. It's, everybody. it's a fan. Except Danielle. Fantastic. Except for Danielle. Yeah. Except, except for Danielle me. Can't make it this year. It's a fantastic event though. And I can't wait to go back again uh, this year. Uh, Danielle, we, we, where we can follow you at, you got any content coming up or are you still, we got going on there with Fox. You can plug that. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Danielle Dubois. And yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm interning at Fox 5 Sports. So you can just check out my you know Twitter because I post all my fun cool. stuff there. Now, that was you interviewing Desmond Ritter, right? Yes, we media? talked to a lot of people. And I talked to Tyreek Hill. So I was really excited about last week's episode. But I did, couldn't make it. But I had a lot to say about the Tyreek Hill away. <laughs> We'll, we'll get your opinions on when we get some time. Don't don't you worry. Yeah. Guys, make sure you come back next week. We're going to have Dan Claskins from SiriusXM. He's going to be on. He's going to be talking about AFC North. So we can't wait for that show. We'll be back same time Thursday, 9.30 p.m. Make sure you follow us and subscribe to us on YouTube and download us on your favorite podcast app. The MD's Fantasy Football Show is widely available to you. Until next time, you guys take care. <laughs>